The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Kia ora and welcome to The Fold. This week is quite a special guest. Jason Paris is the CEO of Vodafone, who regular listeners might note is the sponsor of this podcast. So on some level, like just a giant honking sponsored content, <laughs> conflict of interest warning. Up to you if you just decide I'm, you're going to skip it, but I really strongly recommend you don't. Because I think Jason's one of the more interesting and progressive executives in New Zealand uh, business. And I, I think that's going to be quite obvious for anyone who listens to this conversation because you just look at you know, the, the start of the year alone, you know, the magic talk incident, which I've discussed with multiple guests, because I think it's it's more than just the firing of a radio host. It's actually a window into the way that New Zealand society is progressing and things that were, were tolerable and, and are now intolerable as a society. Vodafone was one of the first, if not the first, advertiser to say, we're out until he's out. That led very quickly to an, an advertising framework, which essentially enshrined that in, in sort of law before. You know, essentially that was, that was a decision made on the fly. Jason Paris says that he was in a board meeting at the time. So that was, you know, in some ways a, a courageous move by, by people who weren't uh, the CEO. But the, the fact that their response to that was to say, actually, we need to be able and willing to do this more often, I think that's that's super interesting. He also made news for basically saying, see you later to, in fact, more, more accurately, hairera, to a customer who was objecting to Vodafone's use of te reo. And so we talk about that in the way that, you know, te ao Māori is... is being folded into the work of Vodafone and its foundation's attempt to solve the digital divide. And again, you can decide whether you think that that is just sort of corporate greenwashing. I find found it pretty compelling. We talked from there about the sort of broader content market, uh, about Vodafone TV, about the merger with Sky and how that didn't go ahead. I press him on whether they would acquire it now. I think they'd be crazy not to, uh, given its share price. But he says they won't, so uh, we have to take him at his word on that. Well, we talk about use cases for 5G and just generally where this this market's going. Again, it, it's uh, it's pretty accessible, but uh, I think I think Jason's a, a a very smart smart CEO and also just a good listener to his his staff and to sort of society more broadly and and I think probably emblematic of a new generation of business leaders you're starting to see circulate out there. Obviously, I'm going to thank Vodafone for making the fold possible. With innovation made simple and world-class network technology, Vodafone will help you maximise the potential of your business. Find out more at vodafone.co.nz. This is Jason Paris, CEO of Vodafone on the fold. (laughs) 
Kara, Jason. Kia ora. Welcome to The Folds. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I wanted to start by talking about something relatively recent, which which felt like a moment in terms of the way that big corporations interact with, with the media. And that was the uh, the whole magic talk shit storm, uh, which, just to refresh listeners' memory, John Banks was doing was doing a, a show as a fill-in host. He had a caller call up, say a whole bunch of racist stuff, and rather than dump it, rather than refute it, he essentially endorsed it and, and added a little extra beside. And we we reported on it within a couple of hours. It might have even been simultaneously. Vodafone had essentially dumped Magic Talk from its advertising schedules, which, I mean, the, the talkback has existed and has had this kind of content for a long, long time, but the facts are, and, and at various times there have been situations where corporations have distanced themselves through, through a similar method from that kind of situation. What struck me about this was the pace of it. Could you just talk through what what your role in that was or, or how you became aware of it and, and, and how such a seemingly quite large decision because Magic Talk and, and MediaWorks is a, you know, that's half the radio market mm. that, that you were sort of um, effectively playing in there. You know, how you made that decision so so quickly, how that happened internally. Well, it happened so quickly because I wasn't involved, <laughs> which is awesome. I was in a uh, all-day board meeting. Um, with our owners and uh, I came out and uh, Rich Llewellyn told me uh, what had happened and the decision they'd made which I loved by the way and backed because um, we talk often at um, Vodafone that uh, we often don't make decisions fast enough. We actually have we've borrowed a framework um, from Amazon. I know Amazon is not top of the pops with everyone but they have this strategic framework which is most decisions are two-way doors uh, very few are one-way doors and what that basically means is if you make a mistake, you can always backtrack and re- or reverse it. So we've been trying to encourage the entire organisation to make those calls. And so this de- is devolving a, power to, to an extent. Yeah, getting, getting, getting decision-making as close to the action as possible. Which is also a very <coughs> Netflix kind of uh, model as well, the, the uh, informed captain. It is. And, so, yeah, so, and so, so that happened. The team made the call. Uh, I wasn't across it. I, come out, I came out and got uh, informed, backed them clearly. And as you said... Media has been built on people being provocative, and that what that's what gets people to listen. You know, debate. However, there's a line, and we felt that it had been crossed. We felt that it was a clearly racist position to take that we wouldn't condone as an organisation or as individuals, and we wouldn't back it. And so we made the made the call, and then the flow-on effect from that is, of course, well, actually, we've made a call on this. What other stuff do we need to make a call on, which led to our ethical advertising policy? So I, w- I wanted to talk about that because that—that's the thing with a decision like that. There is a a danger when it is made in isolation mm. that it can be seen as a kind of astroturfing or, or or as an attempt by a corporation to to just kind of get a little bit of kind of kudos from the crowd for something which which actually is fundamentally quite a structural issue. Like there is a lot more where that came from and the deeper you go into or the harder you think about it the more complex that is so yet the ethical advertising framework followed quite quickly so was that something that was already in motion no not really it's it's something that was kind of in the dna of the organization just to do the right thing um whether it's advertising or customer service and in both of those areas we don't always get it right clearly and so we just sat back and the team thought, well, 
this is the right thing to do. Let's make sure that we get it right more than wrong. And we're massive advocates of freedom of speech here. But we also want to have the freedom to choose where we decide to uh, place our advertising and associate our brand. And so with lots of options available to a corporate like Vodafone, we've decided to have a policy that gives our teams guidance on the right environments for us to participate in and to support. Like just to be, there were like I saw some rumours about us uh, threatening if people weren't fired, then you know uh, we'd pull out all of our advertising. That's just not the case. We just said, you make your calls, we'll make ours. And in this instance, here's, here's, here's what, where our position is going to be, um, not just now, but in the future. I mean, and that, that's the thing, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of uh, the sort of people who view this as an attack on free speech, where, where they're, they're the implication that Vodafone doing this somehow imperils it. it. All it does is says that there is a cost to it. And there's always been a cost to speech. Correct. Um, that there is... I think inarguably more avenues for people to speak or, or, or to communicate than there's ever been. I think we've gone through a long period where that has been, there has been a or, or quite an intentional sense of the corporation's marketing spend should go to where it is most efficiently, it most efficiently reaches the largest number of people and it doesn't really have beyond sort of not being on Pornhub kind of thing yeah. too much of a sense of the where that is. This seems to be part of a tide that pushes back on that. Would you agree? Absolutely. And you said, you know, there's a cost, but there's also a choice. So listeners have a choice as to where they choose to listen. Advertisers should have a choice as to where they choose to advertise. And sometimes that they fit perfectly and other times we can disagree that we're not, we just choose different environments. And both those things are... Um, both of those things are fine in our uh, in our view, but I think it's a um, you know as you said I think it's it's ethical or advertising, but just more importantly, integrity within big corporates is becoming more and more important, and we got a lot of support from our customers on a number of positions we've taken, including including this one, and also importantly from our people. You know, you want to attract and retain the best people in the marketplace. Increasingly, people are choosing to work for organisations whose values are aligned to their own and choosing not to work for those that they don't believe are aligned. And so it's a it's a one example of a much bigger position that Vodafone is trying to take in New Zealand. And, and, and I think that's, that's the point that sometimes gets missed with a, with the sense that it, you know, it's almost like the... It, you can very quickly get to the stakeholder capitalism versus um, you know just shareholder capitalism and Milton Friedman kind of debate, which probably is outside of scope. But fundamentally, these things don't exist in isolation, right? Mm. The the thing that that strikes me as a hard one to resolve w- with an ethical advertising framework is how you do that in a in any kind of user generated content environment, because inevitably, on on Facebook, on YouTube. Yeah. Any, you know, even within search, if you wanted to be, uh, you know, to draw a particular kind of bow there, that there, there are naturally going to be, because this is humanity, you're going to see all kinds of racist or objectionable things that, that exist in those environments. How, how does the, the policy interact with, with social media, for example? I think it's more about intent. Like, we know that we're going to, there will be times when, we get it wrong or we find ourselves in an environment that we didn't plan to. Again, I, I, for, for us, um, we're not going to sweat it too much. It's more about a, a framework 
an intent, a policy that gives guidance and um, an indicative direction, uh, which we think is is the right thing to do. And uh, and sometimes we end up in the wrong environments because we are where people are. And that's that's going to be the case. And you know, it's even with our own customers. Like if you look at our own Facebook pages when we post something. Um, quite often the comments are completely unrelated to the post that we've put on uh, and sometimes they do uh, veer into what I would um, call uh, racist comments or um, positions that wouldn't be with our own internal values and, and that's fine, people have their own view we just choose not to engage with them when that's the case So would you, given that this is a, a policy that effectively devolves power to people making decisions would you you would expect to see more situations like this where someone potentially relatively down the chain from the the CEO or the C-suite is empowered to make a decision where they see something that they feel is in conflict with that kind of policy or or other Vodafone policies oh absolutely they should and and to be honest if they get it wrong every now and then they're not going to get in trouble either as long as the decision was made with the right intent so our job is to kind of give strategic direction and a framework to work within, but as we said before, empower the decision-making to as close to where the action is as possible uh, and let them get on with it. And um, I think this is a good example of that in action. And you're right, um, it probably wouldn't have happened uh, many years ago, um, but it is now, which is which is great, great to see. So another example recently that, that made the news was, and it's sort of within this area, but was... You had a customer complain to you about the uh, Vodafone's use of Tereo within its um, communications, essentially saying a bunch of racist stuff, and your response to them was was quite acute. Hairira. Again, like what 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 sort of motivates that, and and to to what sort of proportion of you know what was the reaction to when that was publicised? I guess is is the kind of bigger question. In the main massively positive when it was publicised and just to be clear this was a conversation between me and a customer that she decided to send to the Herald <clears throat> so when um, we did get a call from the Herald saying we've just got a customer sent an email that the CEO sent I was like holy shit what have I done <laughs> but it, you know on reflection it played out alright for us um, on the basis that majority of New Zealanders felt that um, we were in the right and look uh, this, uh, I have lots of good debates with our customers every day. Um, 95% of the time we are in the wrong because it's normally about we've done something in customer service or network coverage isn't great. And so, you know, I'll apologise. Um, sometimes we have a good debate and we just agree to disagree. In this instance, the tone of the email was overly aggressive. I felt racist and I I just made a call that I wasn't going to waste my time with this customer on the basis that I just didn't think that they'd be interested in an open-minded conversation about it. And then to top it off, they threatened to leave. And in that point, I was like, well, I don't think we want customers like you with an L uh, on our network, and so harida. And that was it, really. The thing that's kind of interesting about it is like, you look at Spark with uh, Kupu and mm. uh, you know Two Degrees using you know, Māori uh, uh, design and advertising agencies and so on. It's the... I'm not. Who is the racist tel, like tel, telecommunications provider? Are you, I'm just trying to think of where that where they can end up, whether which is a safe space for them. <laughs> there isn't one. Well, that's the thing about I think uh, not just the telco industry. Um, is that is that a market opportunity? Do you think? 
<laughs> probably a shrink, I'd say shrinking demographic. Very niche. Yeah, I'd imagine very niche. Uh, and um, and we certainly wouldn't be looking to wholesale our network to a um, the racist telco either. Yeah, so it's it's going to be difficult. Um, that, yeah, related to that, and this, there's obviously like a theme developing here. But um, last year, actually, Alice Wibbledall, our, our producer today, wrote about the policies that you developed around honouring titiriti. Yeah, do you, and and of not making that a sort of a sideline, but actually uh, making it at someone's job in in a in a kind of a more holistic way. Where did that come from, and and what does that really mean? Because there's, I think there's often perceived as a gap between the, the saying it and the doing it in these environments. Well, I think you're seeing it play out, right, in uh, everything that we're doing. Like actions um, do speak louder than words. And so there are loads of interactions that we have with our, our customers and with the market that don't get publicised, like Harira or our Magic Talk position. Um, and that is off the back of our position that we've taken with the Treaty of Waitangi. And um, I think that's great. Uh, what it boils down to, though, is we genuinely believe that Vodafone's values are aligned with Māori, that we want to acknowledge Māori in, in New Zealand more than they have um, in the past, that we think the strategies of Māori, which is about creating enduring benefit for the next generation of New Zealand, is aligned with Vodafone, and that there's a, an opportunity for Vodafone to partner with Māori in helping especially communities that are most disadvantaged. So the reality is that Māori and Pacific Island communities do get impacted by the digital divide more than um, any other um, ethnicity. And if you need to be able to have access to not just uh, a, con- a connection, but actually have access to a device and then actually be able to understand how to get the most out of that device if you want to be able to be confident and compete um, in a digital future. So there's multiple streams of our uh, of our commitment um, that are all being executed uh, at, at, at once and it will increasingly just become in the DNA of the organisation. And so appointing someone to head that up, Kirsten, uh, was the first kind of, uh, first stance uh, on that and then starting to build relationships with iwi across the country on them telling us what they need not us telling them what we will do is the is the next phase and that's what we're that's what we're underway with so what what will be the the sort of net effect of that do, do you think in terms of what, what would do you perceive as your role in bridging that digital divide and how you know what would you like to think that in say two three four years would be a sort of more evolved position or, or, or outcome from from that engagement. Yeah, well, we have we have a um, ambitious goal of halving the number of disadvantaged youth in New Zealand by twenty twenty seven, and that's through the Vodafone Foundation. So I didn't realise when I joined Vodafone a couple of years ago, we've we've inv- we invest about two million a year in uh, through the Vodafone Foundation trying to help communities that are disadvantaged, and we've under new ownership we'll continue to to do that. And what um, Lani, who runs the Vodafone Foundation, does is she's a, we've, we've done a piece of market research looking at where are the areas of the most disadvantaged youth in New Zealand. One of my hometown, actually, in Bacargill, happens to be one of the areas that has a large number of disadvantaged youth. And now we're working with those communities, especially iwi in the, in the area, to say, here's the toolkit that Vodafone has at its disposal. Technology, devices, expertise, partnerships. What is the most powerful way for us to bring this together along with the investment that we're prepared to make 
and and we want to commit to you for um, you know a long period of time. It needs to be an enduring relationship. So I, I'd say it's it's um in its infancy, but the ultimate outcome is fewer New Zealanders not being able to access technology, having to choose between bread and broadband. That's unacceptable in New Zealand, and you know as a as an organisation that's at the centre of that, we've got a an obligation to help solve that problem. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Pivoting slightly to the the more strategic side of of what um, Vodafone's doing, do do you want to talk about the the Vodafone TV as a device, and then and through that into what Vodafone's relationship with with content delivered over its services is? Yes, yeah, so might I, become as as a customer, like I love the fragmentation of um, accessibility of content and media, like uh, you know. To your point, there's something for everyone, depending on what you're into. Uh, however, um, I also find it quite hard to easily curate and aggregate it myself. And I know a lot of New Zealanders struggle with that as well. And so Vodafone TV um, is about uh, it's about media curating, curation and aggregation uh, in a really easy device that you can plug into your HDMI port in the back of your TV and you're kind of away. So um, it's getting pretty big now. Like uh, Germany's just about to roll it out in uh, in Europe, and so it's you know going to have I don't know five million boxes in market. So it's starting to get a bit of scale, and that will start to ramp up um, more over the over the coming years. So so the development is is sort of centralised and then rolled out to, yeah, to it, the various markets in which it, it operates. It actually started in Vodafone Portugal. Um, I've been there and met the team. They're all super smart, and they did a really good job. And then progressively, as part of Vodafone Group, something works in one market and then it gets embraced and, and rolled out. Uh, I think it's about 10 markets now. Uh, we're one of them. So How many units have you sold here? 100,000, um, which is less than I would have hoped for, to be honest. So, um, you know, we didn't really know. We put our finger in the air and said, I'd love to have 300,000 set-top boxes um, to get that kind of scale. And... Um, we kind of started slowly just before my time because we kind of force bundled it in with our broadband. Uh, when it really started to take off is when we unbundled it. Mm. And so that was a strategic decision to go, well, we don't want customers to may have to make a choice that if you want access to Vodafone TV, you have to have a broadband product with us. And we thought, um, it's a great product. Why not give it to anyone? And then we can build a relationship with them through Vodafone TV and then hopefully cross-sell them broadband versus asking them to do it at the same time. But we, um, we've got a very strong partnership with Sky, uh, TVNZ, Netflix, Amazon. We would, like to, we would like to with Spark because we're a, you know, an, uh, kind of an, an aggregator. 
but our commercial contract with Sky prohibited us from being able to do that. Um, when does that expire? Well, we're having conversations with with um, because the new Sky's got its own <laughs> contracts with Spark and it does now, with right? Spark, so yeah, it, it does. Of- and and so we would we would hope that um, in time. Uh, we'll be able to work out an amicable position on that and and be the kind of aggregator of choice in the home. Would you ever go more vertical into your own sort of owned content play? No, like I think um, I've been in the media industry and on that side of it and, geez, that's a tough game at the moment. seems that the cost of uh, content acquisition goes up and up and up and your ability, because the audiences are fragmenting so much, your ability to monetize that content is to a, you know, smaller and smaller audience. So I think it's interesting actually the Spark and Sky uh, partnering because it's certainly something that does piss off sport fans in New Zealand that they've got so many different apps now that they have to access to watch everything they want. Whereas you know, for all the criticism that Sky's got in the past about rights hoarding and how expensive it is. Man, it was easy. At least it was all in one place. All right? in one place, and I don't know, hundred bucks a month for um, for uh, all of your content in one place. I think actually people are paying more than that now with um, with media fragmentation. Yeah, if you've got Netflix and Disney Plus and Spark Sport and Sky, right. you're, you're you're closer yeah. to one fifty. Yeah. Do Do you look at that now? Look at the way that Spark Sport is is grown, and the the sort of tie ups between uh, Sky and Spark, and you know, and obviously it predated your joining as CEO, but look at that Commerce Commission decision and, and at what's happened to Sky's share price fundamentally and sort of wonder what the hell they were smoking. Yeah, I think they probably got it wrong in that instance. And um, it's interesting. Like, there's, I don't want to go down to a, too much of a legalese path, but I'm married to a lawyer. And it was interesting the position that um, Vodafone and Sky took. They went to the Commerce Commission to ask for approval. Uh, the alternative could have been... Um, that they announced they were going to do it. Mm. And then the um, onus was on the Commerce Commission. versus permission. Kind yeah, of. exactly, yeah. to prove. So I actually think from a Commerce Commission perspective, it was probably a toss of a coin. It was pretty tough call either way. And they just decided to go, well, I don't think that Vodafone and, um, and Sky could prove that it wouldn't lessen competition, therefore it's a no Whereas if if the Commerce Commission had to do the other thing and they couldn't either, it might have been a yes. So I don't know how it all plays out. And in saying that though, if that had have happened, I probably wouldn't have my job. So um, in some ways, I'm kind of stoked because I benefited from that not going through. And Russell decided he'd had enough in 13 years in the seat and wanted to move on. And uh, and I got the opportunity. So it sort of broke him and broke John, right? <laughs> so on that, is there any case for you know if it's, it's not a content play in terms of you joining it but given that Sky's so cheap having another crack oh I don't know it's a satellite business um, versus an IPTV business good customer base uh, some good content but you know we've taken our position to be a an aggregator and curator versus a, a generator and an owner so I think that'll be probably someone else's bag versus our own but we're still looking at having a crack at Vodafone TV uh, and seeing if we can if we can scale it. And if we can't, then we won't. And we'll just um, you know ride off onto the sunset. But uh, I, I still think, given how quickly media is fragmenting, there is a a role for a company to 
play and curating and aggregating. Mm. I mean, in some ways, that's what Sky's largely done. They, done. They, they were they were they made deals. They they bundled things. They didn't yeah. make a hell of a lot themselves, apart from that extra layer on top of the sports that were already being played. In terms of five uh, G, so just to yeah. pivot into to things that you're actually. You know, definitely committed to. What? What? Are, there still feels like the 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 use case for it isn't as well defined and understood versus the this is coming part of the equation. What What is a use case for it that you've seen that you love, that you believe in, that that you can sort of use to kind of show why this thing will actually be as transformative as people say it, it's going to be? Yeah, there's lots of use cases. Um, but you're right. I think that uh, the industry can do a better job of talking about the benefits of 5G. We often get so excited about the technology, we forget about the application of it. And I, from a consumer perspective, I think you're kind of right. You know, uh, 4G for most people is good enough. I can stream my video to my phone. And so, you know, 5G being 10 times faster than 4G and 100 times faster than 3G is that going to make a massive difference to my life? I'm not sure. But in business, yes. So, And the cool thing about being part of Vodafone Group is that uh, you can bring proven use cases to New Zealand that are not bleeding edge, that are proven, and you can start to roll them out. So already there are markets that have got now dedicated networks to banks or mines. They basically carve off a sliver of 5G, and it's your own. It's secure, it's dedicated. You know exactly the capacity and the speed that you get. Um, so it's so more, more like electricity than the, the internet that yeah. we sort of the patchy, blotchy internet that you, we, we sort of know you, and tolerate. You have, you have your own, basically, path straight to your, um, uh, your business, which you know is dedicated and will never fail. So it's a, a big tick. The other stuff that we're starting to see come through is around smart cities and smart metering. Where 5G really comes comes into its own is when you mix it with IoT. So we talk about 5G being, uh, 4G was the next generation of the smartphone, 5G being the next generation of Internet of Things, everything being connected to everything else. And um, what I love in South Africa, for example, is um, there are uh, schools that are remote that wouldn't you wouldn't you couldn't justify getting fiber to that you can now get 5G technology into where they can uh, put uh, IoT sensors in the schools and turn the heating and lighting on when the pupils are there based on smart sensors versus it goes on at six in the morning and it goes off at six at six at night and it halves the energy consumption of that school and they can put that money into stationery or sports equipment or other stuff. So I don't see 5G as the replacement of fibre. I see it as a um, partner of fibre, getting faster connectivity or fibre-like speeds to areas that fibre otherwise wouldn't be able to, and then um, um, connecting that with smart devices that allow you to do monitoring of people or heating or lighting or uh, remote um, uh, controlling heavy machinery within a mine or a manufacturing plant. Um, the use cases are all there already. We just haven't pretty much rolled them out in New Zealand yet, which is our job to do over the next couple of years. One of the – it's not necessarily a, a use 
case per se, but but a way that 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 might apply is in the kind of more remote working world that that's you know that's one of the ironies of our success in COVID nineteen is that some of the the lessons that the world has learned uh, over the course of a, a year lockdown essentially we only learned intermittently and therefore didn't absorb to the same extent. What what did but you as a network sort of systems provider, you sort of saw that you know, at the at, uh, at the coalface kind of thing. How, how did it look when we all went to work from home from a kind of a data use perspective? And, you know, what, 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 how do you sort of, when you have a particular established behavior pattern and that gets sort of completely blown up overnight, what, what does that do to your, to your systems and, and how, how, how impressed were you with the sort of resilience that they ultimately proved to have? Yeah, like, you know, clearly biased from the industry, but I was really impressed. And this is, again, not just us. This is um, all the telcos, I thought, um, did a brilliant job. We, um, we've we got great connectivity in New Zealand, given the um, geographical challenges that we've got of where our population is spread, the size and scale of the market, to have world-leading mobile and fixed networks in this country that can provide these types of speeds and capacities is it's incredible we take it for granted when you sometimes see like us and career in the same breath and yet you look at what our country is economically population why you know it's it's it should be something that we're more stoked about and we should see the opportunity with more in a lot of ways it feels like and it and, and actually like genuinely we get pretty good deals here too you know like 20 bucks to have unlimited minutes calling and a gig of data, you know, and you're sending messages through space to someone else for the, you know, the same cost of a Big Mac combo. Man, you know, pretty hard to complain about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Wasn't but, always true, but it feels true now. No, no, it's true. Um, but the cool thing about our network is when you build a network, you have to build it to um, what we, we call it bursting or capacity. And so, you know, there's certain times of the day where people will be really hammering the internet um, or their mobile connect- connectivity, whether they're m- normally in the mornings and evenings when people are commuting. Uh, then they get home and they're watching Netflix while someone's doing homework or whatever it is. So we have this capacity. All that happened in COVID is that we were in the red for longer, right? So, you know, you had your foot down, uh, New Zealand did, and, um, but the capacity was already always there. You know, the interesting thing, the one that failed was the copper telephone lines because um, we've been decommissioning this over time because people don't, you know, people are, are using the landlines less and less and less. They're actually even using texting and calling. They're using uh, um, uh, just data to yeah. use, you know, messaging Messenger services and I, now. I but when the Prime Minister announced the lockdown, um, you know, the levels and then said we were going to go into lockdown – all these people pick up, picked up their home phones all at the same time, and that crashed the plain old telephone system. Because so it's it, the landlines that fell it's over. It's the landlines that fell over. And so we had to get all these people like, you know, who's been working here for more than 25 years and knows <laughs> the depths of the legacy telephone systems so from, you know, Spark and Two Degrees and Vocus and Vodafone and uh, get in a huddle and quickly make some upgrades overnight so it doesn't happen again and then let the PM's office go, hey, quite nice to give us a heads up next time something like this is coming because the demographic that's going to respond and want to be checked on or check in with people is this 
So um, that was the only failure we had, which is a legacy technology that we're looking at decommissioning and just didn't expect it to get that level of burst. Everything else, modern technology, from a mobile and from a um, fixed perspective, performed brilliantly and continues to. And um, and New Zealand doesn't have to worry about that. You know, we we are allowing for fifty percent constant growth every single year of traffic, and um, and that's why we're continuing to invest in our networks. All right, I think that's a pretty good place to, to end it. Thank you so much for your time, Jason, and uh, hare ra to you. Hare ra. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O-Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.